Hello there, and welcome to The Camera Report, brought to you by WaterfootFilms.com. I'm your host, Sean Malone, and in this episode, we're thrilled to be interviewing film industry insider and Academy Award nominee, Alex Rose. Alex is a producer that has nearly a dozen credits to her name, including the modern Western classic, Quigley Down Under, the romantic drama, Frankie and Johnny, starring Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer, and I Want to Hold Your Hand, director Robert Zemeckis' first feature film, and foray into Beatlemania. Alex was also a producer on Norma Ray, which earned her the Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. Alex joins me today from her office in Los Angeles, California. Alex, thank you so much for sharing some of your insights with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I'm very honored. Oh, we are too. I wondered if we could start by talking a little bit about the job of the producer, because uh, as I mentioned before, you are a producer, you've produced over 10 feature films, and I think in the public mind there's a pretty good understanding of what a director does, but not as much when it comes to the job of a producer. So could you tell us in your own words, what does a producer do? The short answer is everything, but the long answer and the more explorative answer um, really is the producer is I always say, first person on the project, and the producer's there until the very end. As a producer, sometimes I say it's a question of wardrobe. The producer has many different wardrobes and many different places he or she shows up. For example, the producer may take meetings with the bank at the beginning. The producer takes meetings when he or she finds the material, I'll say she, he, wants to adapt into the movie. Let's say a producer finds an article. That means the producer may meet with the writer of that article. And then the producer will have to find someone, a screenwriter, to adapt that article into a feature film, into the screenplay. So this is all kinds of, we're talking now about the development process. The producer may find another writer and another writer and another writer until that article is fully adapted into a really great screenplay, or the producer might find a book, or the producer might find another a song, or the producer might find a finished screenplay. But all of it needs probably some form of further development. So the producer is there, has to put out money to option whatever the basic material is, and then either has to find money or put up his or her own money to have all these rewrites done because the script is really never, never camera ready. So the producer spends a lot of time getting the material into what I call a place where it can be exploited, where it can be sent, market ready in a sense. What is market ready? Could you could you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, market ready means that the that the material the producer has is ready to be read by either actors, directors, their managers, agents, lawyers, studios, etc. So this may spend weeks, months, or years getting material market ready. Once it's market ready, then the next stage of the development process is the producer attaching elements, and the elements are actors, director, uh, could be, if you're a young producer, a more seasoned producer, or if it's not the kind of material that a producer normally produces, he or she may take on a producing partner. 
of some stature to um, oversee because it's that kind of material and the producer that he or she is attaching is um, more known for that kind of material. And once, or the producer may be taking on a financial partner or a, another producer who is willing to partner with the producer and share some of the costs. So that's the second stage. And that can take weeks and months and years. And at that stage, once there are sufficient elements to where the producer or producers feel that the project can be taken to a financier, then the next stage of development is moving the project to a financier. Now, the financier can be anything from Wall Street, completely private, i.e. a friend, a family, whatever, or it can be um, a, mini, a mini major, a major, a small independent production studio, or just independent money. So that's the next stage. The next stage is to get the financing behind the project. This has now been developed and now has elements attached so that whomever is financing the project can see who will direct it, who will star in it. So let's say now the money is falling into place. That's a good thing. So once the money is in place and the project is in shootable condition, then you're now in pre-pre-production because the money says it's coming. And now again, at this point, maybe the producer has to find, has to some of the money, has to keep continuing to find more money, or maybe the producer will be looking for a sales rep to um, represent the film in the foreign in the foreign markets venues such as the American Film Market or Con, or he or she may be taking it to international sales companies that he or she has relationships with. So that part could be going on at the same time as well if you're going to have two separate financing entities, a domestic financing entity and one or two foreign or three or four foreign financing entities. Those are all things that could be happening. And then at the point where the money looks like it's in place, then the producer working with in tandem with the director starts to interview cinematographers, you start to interview a production manager or a production manager slash line producer, a first AD. You want to have, have your first AD in place because you're going to start casting soon and the first AD is responsible for the schedule and all of that. So you want to have that in place because you can't hire until you know how you're hiring the actors, what you're hiring them for. And then you also want to have you have a cinematographer, your, your production liaison, and your location manager, and of course the production designer. That's very that's key as well because the production designer is responsible for the look of the film. How is the film going to look? He or she works with the cinematographer, and of course you are deciding you're deciding how you want the film to look, meaning the producer and perhaps the director, but they have to work it out. They have to make it look like that. So, so those are the people you have on board in your pre-production. And the other thing, the other major question that has to be decided in pre-production is, besides casting, and we'll get to that, is where are we going to shoot the film? So let's say you're going to shoot the film on location somewhere, near or far, it doesn't matter. You have to find um, production liaison people who are 
copacetic, you know, who understands that particular location laws and the kind of paperwork that that particular location requires. So let's say you're shooting in Canada, South America, or both, then you're, the producer's getting liaisons and production teams organized for both places. So that can be going on. And then once all that is in place, now you're talking to the uh, bond people, if you might have to get a, a production completion bond, you, your independent people are going to want that to know that the film's going to end up being complete. So now you're talking to whatever Hollywood completion bond company that there is that you feel is strong. There are only two, I think, left now. Now, just for the, for the sake of our listeners and, and somewhat for myself, a, a completion bond, that lets the financiers know that if the movie's in trouble, then the bank will come in and finish it. Is that right? Or It's, it's a little more than that. The completion bond actually meets, M-E-T-E-S, meets out the amount of money you will be allowed to use each week to shoot the film. So you can't just take all your money and shoot, every, shoot a giant thing in three weeks and then have a little teeny amount of money left for the, for the next three weeks. The completion bond decides how much money is going to be apportioned for each week. And if you go over or under that amount, they see that and they, they watch it and they'll start to pull back. They'll start to watch you perhaps or they'll start to say, eh, eh, this isn't going to work. If too many weeks go by and um, too much money is being spent. So they just they let you know how much you can spend each week. And if you can save a little money, then you can spend that money in week two, three, or four if you haven't spent everything from the first week. But you can't go into your reserves week five, six, seven, and eight. You're still in week two and week three. That's how they keep a lid on a film because you can easily spend all your money in two weeks and then say, oh, there's no, no more money left. We can't finish the film. Well, you spent it all. You went to the candy store and all you bought was candy. You didn't shoot your film. So um, the completion bond does that. That's a very important aspect. And they work with you. To, you all figure out together how much you're going to need each week. It's not like they high-road you or railroad you into something that can't be done. They're very, they're very understanding of production costs, and what they want more than anything is for you to end up with a finished great film. That's the role of the completion bond company. And they're very good about it. They're very smart. So you're getting that whole completion bond thing in shape. Um, it's a million papers to sign. Everyone has to sign them. They're just tables and tables of papers and contracts. Um, you can't believe how much there is. And then um, now you're getting ready to shoot. So let's say you've decided where you're going to shoot. Your completion bond is in place. The financier is happy because he knows you're going to finish. And now he says, we just need one more thing. We just need distribution. Now you have to decide if you're going to shoot a foot of film without distribution and then feel really strongly about your film and get it in the end, or some will say, no, I don't want to risk it. I want distribution before I fund your film to the tune of $15 million. I want to know that I at least have a prayer of getting some of that back. And what are some of the factors that contribute to faith in whether or not you'll get distribution or not? I think if it's a high-concept film, there's a thought there that that would work. 
if it's a star film, you have great stars in it, a great ensemble cast, it'll get distribution. I think if it's a, if it's a ripping good story, there needs to be something to, that can be advertised, I think. And I think that's what they look for. And by default, correct me if I'm wrong, these are all things that you're looking for as well as, as the producer of the film, because you know that that's what the reality is. That's exactly right. No, the, the, the producer is totally on board, understands this. And sometimes now they'll ask the producer to raise the money for the P&A, for the prints and ads as well. So that's like, that goes on too. So the producer's handling all of this, the business side at this point and the creative side. So now let's say we have it all in place. We're ready to shoot. We decided we're going to shoot in Los Angeles finally and make it look like wherever it's supposed to look like. We have the money now. Um, and concomitantly with all this, we have hired a casting director. She has a casting office going on, and the producer and the director are watching interviews and watching reads with cast. The producer always watches who's coming in for the casting calls and watches with the director and the casting director. So those things are all happening at the same time. So now we've got our cast. Let's say we've been casting for a month. We know where we're going to shoot. We've been building sets, and the um, production manager's been deciding with the cinematographer, the director, and myself, the look of the film, the wardrobe, uh, the lead actress has been set. She has a lot to say about the wardrobe, as does her contract. Because oftentimes she gets her wardrobe, which the producer has to watch too, because then she and the production designer are buying expensive dresses, which <laughs> doesn't want to happen. So, you know, so and now, now, you're, now you're hiring your department heads. Each one of your department heads is now furnishing a budget, so that you can see you know how much money you have. And now you can see what they think things are going to cost, and then you have to shave them down or build them up, depending on what you think needs to be done. And to usually shave them down, rarely building them up. And then uh, now, so your budget is now starting to coalesce because each department head is putting together what he or she needs. And so you're writing for it on all that. Now you're galloping toward production, and of course at the same time, the actor and the director and you are talking about the script, how to make it funnier, how to make it sadder, how to make it all things to everyone, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a screenplay writer, maybe the ones who wrote the original script, maybe other ones, working on the script at the same time. You're always doing polishes, and your, your, actor, your actors are perhaps inputting there, giving a lot of input doing reads with you and everybody so that the script becomes more alive and more them and they can invest themselves in the parts, et cetera. So all that is going on as well. And um, you're driving around now doing location scouts. You're looking, you're okaying with the director the various places you're going to be shooting. You're looking at those and you're driving around with the technical crews looking, overseeing, how are we going to shoot? We have this wonderful warehouse where we're going to shoot the dance party. How are we going to do it? Where's the entrance going to be? Where's the lights going to be? Where the truck's going to be parked? So every location has to be looked at in terms of all its logistics, both creative logistics, the shooting of it, the dressing of it, the color of it, 
the movement of it, the amount of hours you're going to have it, or days or weeks. And then everybody, the department heads who handle the logistics of the equipment are figuring out how they're going to get the equipment from outside in, inside out. So you have all that going on. Now you're in gallop mode, and it's full on. Casting's happening, screenplay's happening, readings are happening, uh, production things are being built. Then the, and all that time, the investors slash financiers need to be dealt with because they're asking questions. Why is this costing this? Why are, are we doing that instead of this? So those people have to be dealt with nicely, you know, politely, intelligently, so they understand what's going on because they want to know what's happening with all their money because it's millions and millions of dollars. And so the producer's job is really full on. Just, it's just a full on thing at that point. You just It's nonstop. It's from the minute you open your eyes in the morning until you crash into bed at night because there's all these things that have to be done. And then you're also talking to the agents and managers and lawyers. And then you have the legal side of your film you have an attorney who is just handling your film, doing all the contracts. Because every single person that I've mentioned needs to have a contract, needs to be signed, because your film cannot start shooting until every single person on the film is signed and insured and sometimes medically examined. From the star actor right down to the PAs? That's exactly right. All the way down. Every single, every single human being on the set. So all that's happening, and, and, and of course, I mean, you can imagine none of those contractual discussions are going nicely. They're all griping and moaning and fighting, and sometimes the producer has to get on the phone in part of those conversations and, you know, get, get the things signed, get the things sealed, and be part of that as well. So that whole legal strike is part of the producer's domain as well. So now we're getting close. Let's now say that the contracts are are close to being signed. These are the last one to sign the day before production. You've chosen locations. The production designers been looking on the set. They look really good. The equipment people have been, you know, placing everything where it needs to be. And you're in full tilt. Now you're in avalanche towards production. And you're hoping that your director is on in form, you know, that he's got his or her shot list and have figuring out how to shoot at least the first week. So now you're shooting, and now it's the director's turn. Shahi has the floor, has the set. And with the cinematographer, the director has set the scene, the lights, and hopefully staged the actors. As the producer, you're there, you're watching, you're watching them work. Uh, there's no reason to step in unless something is just vastly wrong or they're having a huge fight or something. But you've hired a really good professional director, so there's no reason to. Well, if I could jump in right there, it seems like you always hear stories about the scrutinous producer coming on set, putting everyone on their toes. Um, mm-hmm. In your experience as a producer, when is it appropriate to visit the set? You're there at the morning call and you're there all day. And you peel off the set when things are quiet and do your other business. You, know, you have their big lighting breaks and all that sort of thing. Or if a scene is going along really well, you can you know break away from it. But basically, you're on the set. Do you enjoy that part of the process? I do. It can get very boring, you know, take after take after take. 
And that's sometimes the producer has to step in and say, okay, we've done enough now, but you've got to move on. You've got to be there. It's hard for a producer because the producer isn't actively involved on the set in, in that sense, but you have to be there because, first of all, you have to see what's happening with your movie. And if it's the project that you've found and you've hired everybody for, you hope you're all on the same page, but there's lots of time where there's interpretive meanings of things. And sometimes you may see something happening on set um, that's taking something in a different direction. And you may have to gently guide it back. So you've got to be there on the set doing all everything. And as the producer, of course, having been there from the beginning, you would have the vision or the, the ability to see clearly that that would be happening. Some people do and some people don't. I, I think it's and sometimes it's not always clear, but you'll always find, particularly with young directors, that they're shocked at what they shot. Because what you see in the world is not what you see on the film. And you have to get to know how to look at that and be okay with it. You have a little bit of experience working with first-time directors. Could you, could you talk about some of the the challenges and maybe even the, the benefits to, to working with young directors? The benefit is that they listen because they don't know very much and they know they don't know very much and, and they don't try to vamp and they're open to suggestions. So you need to hire, and, and because they are new, you need to hire people who are very experienced to cover for the areas that they don't know about. That's the disadvantage, is that they, they don't know a lot. They don't have a lot of experience, and they don't have a lot of authority. They have more authority if they've written the piece. Because they don't know a lot, you've got to cover for them, and you've got to really watch what they're doing. And sometimes a disadvantage is a cinematographer will take over and become maybe too strong a force on the set. Sometimes an actor will sense the insecurity and misbehave. It's things like that that can happen with a new director. So you were talking about production. Uh, we get through to shooting. Now we're, we're shooting. And so you have all the things going on in the shooting. You have the personalities and the conflicts and the, and the wonderful scenes. And you're, you're exhausted and everybody's on the set. And now you have your family, your film family that's been established. And you're just, you know, you're just loping along shooting your film. And then one day it ends. And it ends, <laughs> not with a bang but a whimper, uh, it ends because you decided this is all the money we have. This is when it's supposed to end. So that last week you're checking every single thing to make sure you've got every shot you need so that the editor does a rough assemblage of the film and then you see if there's something that you really need and hopefully you can petition to get it. And if you're a smart producer, you've sequestered a little money to cover a shot that you may need um, to get later on so, so that you are covered. You talked a lot about that process of development and pre-pre-production and it could take months or years. What is, in your experience, the moment where all that hard work is most likely to fall apart or, or has the most potential to, to kind of disintegrate? Right before you get your green light. And why is that? 
I don't know because everyone is saying no. People are very nervous. They realize it's going to be a big, a big investment, and uh, they're scared. So that's the most tenuous time always. I guess after that in production, at that point, like you said, there's momentum, right? There's pretty much no stopping it. Now, once you're in production, the avalanche has happened, and so it's not, it's not a problem. And everyone's on board. The investment has been made. Different departments that are involved with the financier are working. People are starting to think of an ad campaign. People are, you know, buzzing around um, doing their thing. PR people are there, and you're doing interviews for this television show or the behind-the-scenes of that, and all those things are going on. So the film is, is underway, and um, that's so, so you're okay. But now the film is finished, and you're doing your assemblage, and it's, the director sees it first, and then she, he invites the producer to see it, usually, at that point. And you decide if there's something you really need or not. You decide, then you now you're creatively looking at all these different ways certain scenes can be edited, you're looking at the performances, some which could be really good, some which could be mediocre, um, some which could be downright bad. And then can you, now comes all the creativity in the editorial process, which is humongous. Editorial can change a film completely, completely, completely. You can get rid of a character. You can make a small character be a star. I mean, there's so much that can be done editorially. It's, it's astounding. People don't realize the shooting of the film is almost the smallest part. Um, and so now you're starting to get the film in shape and you're starting to show it to people. And let's say it's really good and really strong. People are starting to get excited. Now you're getting to a point where you have to preview the film because you've got music in it now. It's getting close to being finished. But you don't want to lock it until you've had an audience see it because, gosh, the audience might have some amazing response that you hadn't even thought of. So now you're setting a few preview dates. And uh, you're setting it, you know, in different places to get different kinds of audiences, different demographics. And um, then based on the audience responses, you might change a scene, cut a scene, add, add more dialogue to a scene. And then at that point, once you're getting really close, then you're bringing your actors into the ADR. You may have a lot. You may have a little. If you chose a, a really good actress, you may not be ADRing a lot, <coughs> a lot at all. Or if you've chosen really good locations, because ADR is usually a function of um, bad location, you know, the bad, bad sound. Um, so you're doing, now you're into the, <clears throat> into the post. You've got your picture pretty much locked. So now you're into post, meaning that you're now locking all your sound and marrying your music to your track, putting in all your sound effects. You're doing major ADR sound design post-production, and that can take a number of weeks. And this, and this whole time, I'm assuming, as producer, you're, you're dropping by the editing bay, you're dropping by the Foley stage, all those things. All those things. Yeah, I don't sit on the Foley stage while, they're, while, while the Foley guys are putting everything in. I go in with the director. They call the director in to final a reel. Okay, we're going to final reel three. That's when I go in. And I sit, and then we spend a few hours, and it takes a long time. The director may hate what they did to the reel. And then I'll sit there, and we'll, we'll all go over it. We'll all look at it. We'll all make our notes. We'll talk about it. 
and then um, the, the Foley guys will change, add, subtract, whatever, and then we'll see it again. So it's a long, long, long process. Now we get the film fully. Now we've got the, all the ADR, all the tracks together. We have the, the score in it. Maybe the director will even make a cut sometime at that point in the film. It's, it's wild what will happen. And then the editor has all the sound people and the music editor have to rejig those tracks, which they do. And then we are now looping towards getting actually a finished film, and we've previewed it, audiences are liking it, and now we have to, now we, we're hitting the final final, where I'm actually delivering all the film, the finished product to the studio, and that means that it's going to go to negative, and they're going to cut negative, and once they cut negative, you really can't make cuts. You can make one, you, you can cut across negative, but you can't edit. You can cut something out, Boom! You know, just make a slice across it, but you can't edit it. So you don't ever, ever, ever like to cut negatives. But it's been done, and um, and that's where you are. So now you're making your prints of your film, and it's going to go out. And you've, now you're negotiating as the producer. You're negotiating with the studio for the best date, the most theaters you can get, the best ad campaign. It may have people working in-house and out-of-house groups making posters, making trailers, and you and probably the director are looking at all this stuff and um, either liking it or hating it, asking for different versions or not, but you're seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of versions of what your film's ads could be. And you finally, um, you finally approve the best of the bunch one that does the least damage you feel. The one that offends you the least. <laughs> exactly. And uh, they, they have one goal in mind. They have one goal, and that is to sell your film to the most number of people. And they're really very good. I don't mean to ever decry what the studios or the advertising companies do. They, they know their business. They have huge amounts of statistics. They're very good. Sometimes they miss the mark, and you've seen it many times. Um, you'll see a wonderful film and say, gee, that, I'm never so surprised that that movie is as good as it is. The ad campaign, I thought it was terrible. You know, that happens so often. I'll never forget the film that um, Tom Cruise did, the warrior film, the Japanese film. Oh, uh, Last Samurai. The Last Samurai. They put him in the film, in the first ad for the first month, all by himself. And everybody, they didn't put... Ken um, Watanabe, I think his name is. I think, thank you, Watanabe in it at all. And people thought that Tom Cruise was himself the last samurai, and it turned people off. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. And uh, then when they put Ken Watanabe in the ad, the film actually, this, the, in, in, the, in America, the grosses went up, but they should have had Ken Watanabe in at the very beginning because they lost momentum those first few weeks by not putting Ken Watanabe in the ad, just having Tom Cruise. So it made it feel as if the film might be a vanity piece or something. Now your film is being advertised, there are billboards and there are trailers everywhere and being promoted and out you are. And then, of course, the day of reckoning really comes when <laughs> you open and they know in a very short period of time now with everyone's cell phones and texting and all of that, 
they know in a very short time if their film's going to make money or not. Very short. It takes a couple of hours. Really? They, yeah. Well, yes, because they have so many statistics of how so many films have opened. They know how much it has to do at a certain time of day to equal blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Based on also like social media and stuff like that as well? Are you referring to, to the sort of buzz that's created in social media circles or, or just strictly the numbers they're doing? Well, obviously the buzz creates the numbers or not. So social media is important and they know how important. They know how important social media is and they try to do social media. But they don't always succeed. So what they do is they can tell if there's so many theaters and by 3 o'clock that day and so many performances, what the film's gross is, where it's going to hit by Sunday night. That's what they're, that's what they're really good at. So then, then at that point, the producer's job is finished, and so now the producer needs to be out starting, hopefully, another project. And hopefully, because the producer's not exclusively tied after shooting anymore to the project, you've begun another project before that one is completely in the can. In other words, you have something else or several other things in development at that yeah, time. exactly. You just described the how. Now I'm going to ask you, why did you want to become a producer? Because it's fun. It's a lot of work. It's very active. Um, I wanted to tell stories. I thought there were stories that I wanted to tell that I think needed to be told. There are things I wanted to say. And being a producer is, a, is maybe the greatest way of doing it because you have more tools at your disposal. If you're a writer, you just have yourself. But a producer has all these tools at his or her disposal to have a story told. And it's a lot of fun doing it. Our show is a show that 50% of the time, at least thus far, is speaking to cinematographers. And I wonder what qualities are important as a producer to you when you're looking for hiring a director of photography or, or looking to hire the, uh, the cinematographer? Well, I look for for the cinematographer, I just look for really good work. I, I try and get the best cinematographer I can for the money I have in my budget. It's not hard to look at a cinematographer's work and see who's really good and see who isn't. <laughs> it's either good or it's not, right? Yeah, exactly. You just find you want to get the best work you can, and you find out who's, um, who's you, you hear from the people who have worked, you hear who's good to work with, who's not good to work with. Uh, you hear who spends tons of money, who doesn't spend money. And those are all things you factor in when you, when you um, interview cinematographers. Two more questions for you. I'm, I'm uh, a little sad we didn't get to talk a little more about your, your career because it is um, a long and successful one. But what has been the most gratifying moment for you in your career? I would say perhaps that there are so many gratifying moments. There's just, there's millions of them. It's almost impossible to pick one out because there, there's gratifying things every minute of the day. Every time you hit a good line or you see something being shot that looks wonderful or something just, you know, puts together the way you want it to or someone loves the script that you sent them. Those are all gratifying moments. Um, but I would have to say that one of the most fun ones, it was really fun, was being in the Palais de Sport in France when Sally Field, uh, when, you, when you screen Norma Ray and the entire 
place went up for grabs. It, 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 the whole audience just went nuts. They loved the movie so much. They stood up and they clapped and they screamed. It was so exciting. And I knew that Sally Field was going to win Best Actress. They don't announce at that point because that's your screening, your big screening that night. But um, we, were, we were chosen as one of the big screening films. But I knew she was going to win because the audience reception to her and that movie's her was so powerful, so powerful. And that was a really fun moment. What's the best advice you can offer a young or new filmmaker? Make yourself indispensable. Take any and all jobs. Meet as many people as possible. Whenever someone asks who wants to do something, do it. If something needs to be done, step up to the plate and do it. You'll always be hired if you're the person who never says no. Well, Alex, it's uh, been such a pleasure talking to you today. I really appreciate you coming on, and I well, want fun yeah it was fun for us too and um is there anything you're working on right now we should look for in the future i have a wonderful book called river of yearning and it's uh, um, about ex-nazis who are hiding in the jungle of the amazon uh in the 1970s and it's a wonderful book and i'm very much enjoying working on it and um, i'm looking forward to making it into a movie well we're looking forward to seeing it Alex, I want to, again, thank you, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I wish you the best of luck on your book. And lovely to talk to you, and um, best of luck with the show. Thank you, Alex. All right, take care. Thanks again to Alex Rose for being on the show today, and thank you for downloading this episode of The Camera Report, produced by Brad Malone and Sean Malone. For more episodes of The Camera Report, please visit waterfootfilms.com and click on the podcast link. Subscribing is easy and free. Also, search for Waterfoot Films on Facebook and then like us to see updates. I'm Sean Malone. Thanks for listening.